Not today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth uh, here today with Scott Ciccarelli of Advanced Design or uh, Pro Audio. Uh, did I get the company name right, Scott? It's ADK Media Group. AD, AD, and so that's a, a change I guess I didn't have, AD, ADK Media Group. Uh, yeah, it's an, ac- an acronym for Advanced Design of Kentucky. Ah, uh, Okay. So you're one of the first guests we're having from Kentucky, Scott. Before we get started, let me tell everyone who's uh, coming up on next week, tomorrow's show and, and next week's show. should have that stuff at the tip of my, my hands there. Oh, yes, tomorrow is the 15th uh, of March, the Ides of March. So we're having a tax guy come on. We're going to have Al Perlman. He's a partner at Smith Perlman and Company, CPAs. And he's going to be talking about some of the things we can do to uh, perhaps lower our taxes. Next week, we're going to have Thane Maynard on in show number 100 from the Cincinnati Zoo. And then a week from Friday, we're going to have Mike Kelly, an executive from a uh, publicly held fortune company here in Cincinnati. And he's going to tell his journey to success or journey to leadership. Scott, again, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you tell us how you you got to where you are? How you got bought this company? Well, I got on the internet, I guess, when getting on the internet was easy and good in 1998. I started actually doing stuff on eBay and then put a website up. And before I knew it, I had to stop doing my regular day job and quit and devote full time to this business. What kind of a job did you what business were you in before? I had a construction company. Okay, so you went from construction to building high-end personal computers? Correct. Okay. When I first started out, I wasn't actually building and selling computers. I was selling uh, what's called pre-tested overclocked processors, uh, which was kind of a hot thing back in 98. And I was the only guy that was guaranteeing them to do what I said they would do. There was a couple other guys doing it, but nobody with a warranty. And it just kind of went from there to additional parts, then full computers, and then we got into the whole pro audio, pro video market, really by accident. Hmm. And the overclocking started out where they would where you would take Intel CPU chips and put a faster and faster crystal on them to see how fast they would go before they died? Uh, well, that would be an easy way to put it, yeah. 
um, when Intel, well, I'll try to put this in a, a quick, non-technical way. When Intel ships processors, they have a top speed of every silicone that they ship. All the processors you buy are actually made from the same silicone. And they would have a safety zone, if you would, of 25, 30, 40%. All I did really was make it run at what was intended to run at to begin with. Mm -hmm. So Basically, I'm unlocking a locked processor, if you would. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was never never intended to be a business. It was only a, a idea that I had to feed my gaming upgrade habit. <laughs> it was once it a company was, in the IT world called the Data Point. And what they did is they bought barrels of Intel chips that that failed Intel quality control tests for one way one manner, shape or form. And they would do that overclocking stuff. They would take out of a barrel, which they bought for pennies, you know, four or five chips, and they erased the Intel markings on the chips and put their own processor markings on. You didn't get involved with those uh, processors that had uh, cooling uh, water on them, did you? Uh, later on in the game, yes. Okay. <laughs> we, we started out as a overclocking, building gaming computer company. It was... Our focus was not what it is today. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we got into the crazy case mods, crazy cooling, uh, just absurd. Uh, well, I didn't sell it. I played with liquid nitrogen cooling just because I'm a geek, I guess. Liquid I always look to make it better. <laughs> yeah, liquid, liquid nitrogen. <laughs> That's pretty dangerous stuff. <laughs> and I can't even think of the name of the ice that you uh, can buy anymore. Dry it's ice. so long. Dry ice, yes. I haven't fooled with that nonsense in a long time. Yeah. Or putting putting a computer inside of a freezer. P putting a computer inside of a freezer so you could run it fast. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's kind of how the company started out, and and I worked out of my basement mm -hmm. and used my used my garage and you know in a bi level house and lived upstairs in the other part. And it, again, originally it never intended to be a business. It just kind of took off. And right. I had to quit quit doing the construction thing and devote full time. Now yeah. we don't have really anything to do with the gaming aspect. If somebody wants to buy one, we still sell them, but it might be you know two or three a year. Our primary focus anymore is professional audio recording and professional video editing. So you sell PCs into that into those two markets. Correct. Okay. And how many employees are in your company right now? Uh, I have eleven. Wow! So you're not you're not operating out of the garage in the house anymore. <laughs> no, not anymore. We're in a fifty six hundred square foot building now. Okay, and if you could take a look at your company five years from today, putting out pulling out your crystal ball. Actually, the crystal ball is overclocked. Uh, yes. How would you see your company? Uh, it's. Boy, that's an interesting question that we just discussed at lunch, actually, when I, me and one of my employees went there. Mm -hmm. um, with today's market, watching it and been watching it for the last five years, first I kind of need to preface this with uh, since the economic downturn, we have not really been affected at all. In fact, if anything, uh, we've seen a slow but very steady growth in the business volume. Mm-hmm. So we haven't so, suffered really at all, and over the past five years, 
yeah, each year has added a, a percentage higher than the previous, uh, with the exception of 2012, actually matched 2011, might have been just a hair under it. But beyond that, we really haven't suffered. So to, to rub this crystal ball and say, where do I see us in five years, assuming that we don't see a repeat of what we've seen uh, years ago with the crash and subsequent downturn of the economy, I see adding 10 to 15%, if not better, per year. Mm -hmm. uh, w one thing that we did is we became what's called GSA. That's where you sell to the government. Uh, and if you learn how to do it correctly, that technically could add several million dollars a year to our sales, which in which case would be uh, nearly double. We we have a $3 million gross sales a year now. Mm-hmm. We're already, we're already GSA, but it hasn't taken off yet, in part because I've only put a few things up for sale on their for sale website. Okay, so you're, you're putting the, the high-end uh, video and audio uh, computer boxes up? Correct, for sale to the government. And it was actually our government clients who begged us to become that because it's quicker to purchase once you're GSA than have to go through the normal bid process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are you selling to agencies like NASA who need high computing power or, or a, a surprising variety of agencies? Uh, it could be a on-base police agency that is just editing videos to somebody at NASA who's doing 3D modeling. Hmm. Uh, we've got laptops in the field in Afghanistan. What they're doing, I have no idea with them. But now, are you ruggedizing the uh, machines, the portable machines for the military? No, unfortunately, the ruggedized systems the military can normally buy would not be capable of editing. It's a trade-off. You want ruggedized, you have low power. Mm -hmm. And so, on average, what does a, a video serve, a video editing machine uh, cost? What kind of investment are people making? Oh. Round that's almost that's almost like asking how much a car costs to get you to work versus a car that you can well even that's not a good analogy. They average anywhere from if you're a home hobbyist, you know, editing movies that you took in the backyard of your kids at fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars to uh if you're working with very high def cameras, you could be spending twenty, twenty five thousand dollars. Twenty-five thousand for a, for a desktop computer. Correct. So that, well, you that, wouldn't be, you wouldn't be putting it on your desk. It'd be below your desk. Oh, it'd be a, a big a, computer. Imagine a server with a lot of hard drives internally and a lot of hard drives externally. Wow. Okay. So that's something that a a local TV station might might want. Uh, be actually way overkill for a local TV station. Really. Yeah, they're not using high def cams that, that I'm talking about. You're talking about some 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 of these 4x high def def cams. Yeah, four 4K red cameras. Oh, the reds. For those people that don't know, those are special cameras built with exceptionally high resolution by a company called Red. Uh, when they first came out, I thought it was kind of a joke. Apparently, they've taken off. Uh, they've taken off tremendously. Isn't that the same camera that movie makers are using? Uh, in some some respects, yeah. I mean, you can. I've got clients that are doing well, really more like C-roll movies, 
uh, with something barely above uh, something that you and I would have in our house mm-hmm. to, you know, these red 4K and, and then serious blockbuster movies are using are using Panaflex type cameras and three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar things. They would mm-hmm. also use the similar type editing system that I sell. Okay. And, and then I've got clients that are three D animators that would use a slightly different setup, but somewhere probably in that same price range if they're doing real animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, the, when your computers go into the uh, music industry, uh, I imagine their uh, requirements aren't quite as high? They're not near as bad for the most part. Um, it really, again, depends on what the person is doing. For example, some of our clients uh, use the systems that we sell for live recording. They'll take it from show to show, swap out the hard drives, send the hard drives back to home base. And those systems don't really need to be that powerful because you're really not editing. You're just recording with them at that point. Some of the clients that we have that have done that have been U2, BC Boys, Rascal Flats, Madonna, uh, just to name a few names I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, but, again, it's not that powerful of a recording system. It's just lots of tracks. When they get back to the uh home area when they're going to actually do the editing, like for U2, um, their last two live shows and albums they put out for them were all recorded on our systems, and then they go back and then they edit and listen to, you know, hours and hours and hours of music, and then they'll, they may add effects to it. Then you need a slightly more powerful computer than than what you would use for the live system. Mm-hmm. The biggest, most powerful computers, again, go to the movie area. If you are composing for a blockbuster movie or you are composing in order to scoring to film mm-hmm. uh, for even a, a, a B-roll type movie, a lot of our clients actually do television shows, then you need is about as power, pretty much as powerful as you can get. Because right. they're, they're using, they're using um, instead of actually recording orchestras anymore, they actually have software where when they hit a keyboard, they're playing back this orchestral software. That requires an absurd amount of power and, and memory. Okay. Okay. So those guys are more high-end. Those are kind of like your, your higher-end video guys. Good. Scott, we're going to take a, a short commercial break here, and we're going to hear about the tip club, uh, which is going to be a meeting for the first meeting uh, that I'm sponsoring here in Cincinnati on March 21st. So uh, let's hear from uh, Jim Fox from uh, the Tip Club. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. 
This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. This month we will meet on Thursday, March 21st. If you'd like to reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab. Then just scroll down the list of events until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 1-800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you on the 21st. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Ciccarelli. Uh, Scott, uh, why don't you tell our listeners how they can uh, get more information about your high-end computer systems or contact your company? That's pretty easy. Just do a quick Google search for ADK Audio or ADK Video, and we pop right up. Okay. ADK Audio or ADK Video. Uh, Or even ADK Computers, probably. Uh, how do you guys go to market besides uh, on the web? That's pretty much it. In fact, you're probably going to fall over when I tell you that we don't advertise at all. I have zero budget for advertising. Okay, so you don't do any advertising in trade magazines. Uh, so it's, is it like all word of mouth from one, one audio or video editor or engineer to another? Pretty much. Uh, there are forums that are designed or, or made for uh, professional audio recording, video editing, and our name is constantly brought up in these forums. Uh, it's obviously, of course, word of mouth, one editor to another, one professional studio recorder to another. And then the third part is when you actually type in certain keywords when you would be looking for our product, we come up extremely well on the internet. Okay, so you're not you're not even doing pay per click. Nada. Haven't done pay per click in probably eight years, and I stopped doing it because when I would type those keywords in, I would come up in the real search right next to the pay per click. Right in the generic search. I guess it didn't pay then if you're getting all the business you need. Uh, so you don't really have any salespeople. Uh, yes, we do. Everybody's in-house. In fact, we're, we actually, this may sound odd for an Internet company, but we actually get upset if you buy on the Internet. We want you to call. We want you to discuss your needs. We want to match the system to your budget. We want to make sure that the system you're buying is not overpowered, is not underpowered. Uh, we have people, in fact, they, they kind of are shocked when if they buy on the Internet, and they have overbought, and I'll call the person up and ask them what they're doing, what their workflow's like, what products they're using, and they're just blown away when I tell them, look, you just wasted about $4,000. Mm. And then right. I, I redesign their system for them, and they can't believe I just did that. Mm. So, so we so believe people- in, in matching and meeting the needs of the client. Not In fact, if you – my salesperson ever – that caught overselling, they mm-hmm. would be out of a job in five seconds. Mm-hmm. So we we have we don't have salespeople here. What we have is we have 
I like to call them guides. We we help design the system based on their a client need, not how much money that we're trying to make. And my sales guys don't get uh, commissions either, specifically for that reason. So you you have your your sales. How many sales people do you have now? Uh, I guess total. Well, really, most of these guys can sell. I'd say of the eleven, uh, six of them can sell. Mm-hmm. And they're also the same guys that would, most of them are the ones that would also do the support for it. These are guys that actually know the software, use the software. Um, we're not just building computers, doing this stuff, and, you know, there you go, buddy. We actually, even if you didn't buy the software and hardware from us, we actually integrate it here. Uh, we'll install your software. We'll install your hardware. We have most, if not all, the hardware there is. And there, there's two reasons that we do this for the client. Uh, the obvious reason is it's all nice, warm, fuzzy for the client. He gets his computer. Everything's already ready to go. Plug it in. You're working already. The actual real reason we started doing this was what we call preemptive support. By us doing it here, making sure it's done correctly, the drivers are right, the updates have been done, we actually uh, either record audio or, or edit footage, depending on whether it's audio or video, um, just making sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do before it ever leaves the building. So do you guys actually sell the software as well? We do sell the software. We sell the hardware. We, we prefer to deliver a working turnkey package. Again, even if you already own the software, mm-hmm. we'll install it here for you. So in other words, it, it helps us from a free. What's that? They'll send, they'll send you uh, their software keys or their, their software Exactly. Pack. Yeah, they'll just email me the serial number of, of the product you're using because we have what's called NFRs, not for resales. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everything on the market. Okay. audio and video. Plus, we have the majority of the hardware, if it's current, here in stock that we can use to install with. And people absolutely love this, and that's the biggest reason why I don't have to advertise. Mm-hmm. Because of the support, warranty aspect of it. Even if you didn't buy those products from us, we still actually support those products, not just our computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what operating systems do you actually support? Windows 7, that's it. We no longer sell Apple and won't probably ever sell Apple again. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything older than Windows 7 at this point, to be honest, you shouldn't be on. And we absolutely hate Windows 8, although we will sell it if you insist. Mm -hmm. Predominantly Windows 7. We're actually recording the show with Windows 8. (laughs) And it it is a little strange as an operating system. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's like Sybil. It's got multiple personalities. <laughs> it's on my wife's laptop at home because she insisted, and I, uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I think Windows 8 is kind of catchy. Uh, I have Windows 7 uh, on, on my machine at home and Windows 8 here in the office, and I find myself at home reaching up to touch the screens. To, to move stuff around, <laughs> and the Windows Seven <laughs> machine doesn't have a, t- a touch sensitive screen. I find that a convenient feature. Uh, anyway, uh, do you have a long term strategic planning process there? Not. It's not like I've sat down with 
my employees and said, okay, you know, what are we doing in two years? What are we doing in five years? Uh, because of the size of the company we are, which in the computer industry, we're very small. Yeah, we're, 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 extremely are, we're extremely niche, and in that niche, we are the largest uh, of audio and video, unless you want to count HP, who does sell video editing computers, but they don't sell the software, the hardware, or support any of it like we do. So of the people that do what we do, we are by far the largest, but we're so small that we can move with the market immediately. You know, try to steal a ship like Dell when the market changes compared to, you know, a small 11-employee company. It's how a lot different. How do you compare with, the, with that Alienware computers? That's <laughs> funny you should mention those guys. I knew both of those guys. They actually used to buy product, hardware products for me many, many years ago uh, mm-hmm. when Alex was still working out of his basement when I was. And I uh, have to foolishly say that I scoffed at the whole alien marketing thing. And boy, was I wrong, and I really ate my words when they sold for $80 million. <laughs> Got a nice price. Now, hang on. When uh, Alienware first came around, they're a little bit older than we were, not mm-hmm. by much. And there's also another company that's still uh, around. Alienware was about double what we were for the same product. This other company was about three times what uh, we were and, and, you know, half again as much as Alienware. Mm-hmm. And we all sold pretty much the same product. The thing is, I'm I'm a geek, not a marketing guy. I, I'm not a sales guy. And I did I missed the marketing that Alienware took off with. Mm-hmm. Now that guy's sitting back, sipping uh, margaritas on the beach somewhere. Both those guys are Russian, by the way. Mm. Not surprising. Not surprising in that in that part of the business. But yeah, uh, they were working out of the garage just like I was. <laughs> and and they they were selling machines for twice what you were. Correct. Mm. So much for the commodity business. So many people tell me my business is my products, my pipes. This is a prospect from yesterday. I have to sell my pipes in the plumbing supply business exactly the same price as the other guy. Well, no one will buy from me. Here's a guy selling twice as much as you were. Wow. That's a great story. Um, Now, conversely, us compared to Dell, uh, I even tell my employees when they're they're looking for a cheap just whatever laptop not for pro audio pro video just go buy it from Dell man because our product is so much more money to to begin with mm-hmm. see I I can't compete with Dell and HP and all those guys at the $1000 and below mark nor do I want to well you're not but making thousands of things a day are you <laughs> yeah conversely when you start hitting the 2500 mark is when we start uh, actually looking better, and then when you get into those crazy eight to fifteen twenty thousand dollar systems, we actually start beating HP and Dell by a good margin to the tune of fifteen to three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So we well, start getting high end, we kill them. Low end, they kill us. Just can't even touch it. Right. Unless you want higher performance. Yeah, then we're and when you compare Dell to us, we're actually price wise. We're, we're we're expensive. 
We're not we're not cheap. We're not we're not a dollar HP. We're we're pretty expensive for what you're getting. So basically with us you're paying for that support aspect, the warranty, the integration, the the knowledge of the of the product you're using, not just the computer. You're also paying for what's called compatibility in the pro audio, pro video market. Just go going and buying a thousand dollar Dell. Besides, it would be underpowered. It would also be have a potential for being incompatible to a lot of the audio video products. So we have a reason, but we are, you know, my pipe is more than the next guy's pipe. If you just look at okay, this speed, this much memory, this hard drive, right? And consequently, Alienware is more than we are. <laughs> they used to be. They're actually. Uh, now a lot less money. Of course, Dell owns them, so. Yeah. And they may not be as, as good as they once were. I don't think so, but I haven't seen an Alienware in a while. <laughs> yeah, I just see their, their, their machines on, on like micro set of shelves. Uh, Scott, let's take a uh, another short commercial break here, and uh, then we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Are you okay answering uh, questions from callers? Uh, Scott? Sure, by all means. If anyone is listening and wants to ask Scott a question about uh, professional-grade uh, personal computers, uh, the number for call-in is 646-595-4916. Let's listen to a couple of uh, Sandler commercials. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw... However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Ciccarelli. Scott, uh, we have a theory of operation here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Uh, 
maybe you can share with our listeners a complex problem that you guys encountered uh, and the equally complex solution that that you you apply to that problem to solve it that might be applicable for another business leader in another industry. Oh, wow. I've been accused of asking tough questions. <laughs> uh, I should have I should have read those questions briefs a little better. I wasn't prepared for this one. Um That is a really tough question. I don't know if I've had to really face what I would consider complex problems. Uh, definitely faced what every business faces, whether it's trying to grow and doing it by a shoestring. Um, did you bootstrap your business up yourself out of your own uh, wallet and bank account, or did you? Did you get I a did not borrow. I didn't have. I didn't have credit or a credit line. Actually, um, I just got a credit line about a year ago. As far as you know, an actual from the bank small business loan credit line. Okay. Uh, before that, I either used my personal credit cards. Later on, got business business credit cards. Before that, even it was uh, it was hand to mouth in a big way. When we first started out, I had no credit at all. I would buy a few pieces of product, do my thing, sell it, turn around, get the money back, buy more. I mean, it was just it was crazy. When the business the business just exploded, absolutely did not expect. Uh, what happened happened, and it Why caught me by surprise. It financially as well because I would. The only thing that saved me, and I don't re- recommend anybody doing this, but when you would order from us, we would you would prepay, and mm-hmm. then we would ship in a few days. And if we had to do net terms with people, we would have never made it. It was only because we got paid up front that we were able to quickly buy stuff get it in quickly, get it out the door quickly, and just keep building on that. Um, now, obviously, I, I do net terms, especially if you're dealing with the government. Mm. How long does it take but, you to get, get on a federal contract? Just on the, average. The, G, the GSA thing? Oh, God. Yeah. That took took us about eight months and $5,000. And we paid a company to do it after we tried it. Our, the eight months doesn't even count when we we're trying to do it before paying a company. Uh, we sold to the government previous to that, but they had to do what's called a, an open market bid, where mm-hmm. they would send out to other companies, you know, the bid, and they would go not necessarily with best price, but that could literally take four, five, six months. I've had the government come back saying we're ready to do it, and I tell the government, look. The, not only has the price went down, but the product has changed, and the guy's like, look, ship me whatever, but don't change anything in this uh, this quota. We'll be back doing this again, and we'll be back for another 30 to 60 days. Right, right. So I wasn't going to complain. So I, uh, I, my real question was, you, you answered the question, how long did it take to get GSA approval on beyond schedule, which which quite a long time. It sounds like it was probably closer to a year. It was actually, from what I was told, things got done very quickly, and people can take over a year to get a GSA schedule. And I've heard of people spending upwards of $20,000 to do it. And you brought um, in I a guess, consultant. 
Correct, by paying a consultant. There's there's no way anybody ever wanting to do GSA don't even think about doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's one thing I can highly recommend to not even attempt to do. Well, we, it who, is. Who did you use as your consultant? Maybe our listeners are interested. If you can. Um, well, give me a moment and I will tell you. I really don't know their name off the top of my head. It's been a while. Yeah, we, we had a guest on the show about uh, four or five months ago named Rick Slifer. And he runs a company and he teaches others how to sell to the government. Because yeah, that's what he did in, uh, for years. And his dad was a military guy. And so he has had all the inside connections and he teaches people that. It was an interesting show. I know that they were they were very affordable. Yeah, I, once you get a GSA, there's a whole another aspect of it: how to market to the government, mm-hmm. uh, which we did not bother to buy or pay get into doing. Um, don't know that I ever will because it's all at this point it's all internet based, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not what you call one of those cold call guys. So we're not going to harass and solicit uh, Joe Blow in this department and Mary in, in another department. It's just not what we do. So, and I still haven't figured out the name of that company. That's okay. Uh, on, uh, my, my other question was: uh, once you get an order that's a GSA schedule order from a governmental agency, how long does it take to get paid after you uh, ship product? Well, there's one of the things I like about GSA. Uh, the purchasers, once you're GSA, they don't have to go through all this approval process. Some of these guys actually have GSA credit card capability. Um, one of my buddies at GSA says one of his clients actually has a million-dollar purchasing card. Wow. So they can essentially so, give you a credit card. Credit card. <laughs> a, a purchase credit card. So I'm paid up front. Of course, you know, I've already had to discount the government. Um, they've gotten really good about how they spend their money, by the way. You've heard about the $400 hammers and, and crazy priced toilet seats. Well, I can tell you that they're not doing that anymore. <laughs> oh, no? Is it $1,200 toilet seats now? Uh, no, they. Uh, I got beat up on price pretty good. Um, and, of course, I was prepared for that, fortunately, so they didn't get what they wanted. But and I had to give up more than I wanted. Let's put it that way. Well, that, that's kind of sounding like a fair deal, then. They got less. Yeah, more. New Century. There we go. New Century is is who uh, I went through. Are they here in uh, town, Cincinnati area? No, they're actually in uh, somewhere in Florida. Oh, okay. I think Tampa. But they were. I, I had calls and calls and calls for years and years. People trying to get me to do it, and I've gotten the, the twenty thousand dollar quotes, the fifteen thousand dollar quotes. When this guy called with four thousand, I, I actually didn't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a year to finally go ahead and do it. <laughs> okay. And I, and I uh, paid with credit card to be sure that I wasn't getting scammed. <laughs> but you, it's, uh, that sounds like you're happy not, with the result. What's that? You're happy with the result. Very much so. I mean, I, I'm very, very, very skeptical. Uh, I've been in the, you know in business for quite a while and, and gotten burned in in my younger years, I'm, I'm now extremely skeptical of anything. It sounds too good to be true, but they actually were fabulous. Again, a long process, but it was well worth the you know the small amount of money versus what that will bring me. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're involved in governmental acquisition. It always takes more effort than 
a lot of people are willing to put in, uh, especially in a, uh, uh, a niche that that you're in. Mm-hmm. What do you think your 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 best customers are looking for going forward, 2013, 2014, in terms of hardware capability? Or software. What are they looking for in a vendor? The same thing that they've been getting all along, and why they keep coming back is really they look for. They call us and look to us and say, "Okay, here is the the problems I'm running into. This is taking this. This is just taking too long. I need to get this done quicker." Or, you know, we're ready to upgrade a few of the systems in our in our editing suite. Is there anything coming down the pike? Do I buy now? Do I wait? And depending on what's going on, I may tell them, look, if you wait two months, your same dollar money will get you more power. If there's a new processor coming out, and you know, give us time to get it tweaked out. Or it might be, look, the next one's not for another 12 months. Don't bother waiting. Go ahead and get it done now. It really just – our clients look to us really for – Support and they know that we're not going to steer them in the wrong direction or upsell them. So they they trust us. We have, we have earned their trust when they bought from us and they and the true support we've given them over the years. They learned that we're not going to do anything that is going to be detrimental to their business and obviously not mine either. So, so really, it's, it's all about support. Yeah, what, what kind of guarantee do you give with your uh, your hardware? Uh, first of all, it's a lifetime support. Now, really? support is different from warranty. Okay. But yeah, when you buy from us, you as long as that computer turns on, you have lifetime support. Now, if you go buy one of my competitors' computers and you call me for support, obviously that isn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so lifetime means a lifetime of the computer, and most of our clients are lifetime clients. Rarely do we have somebody that buys from us and goes somewhere else. Now, we don't make everybody happy. Obviously, nobody can, but we're pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now the warranty aspect, it could be our, you know one year, two year, or three year. Depends okay. on what the client paid for. Okay, so you, your standard is minimum one year, and they can up that to three years. Correct. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and lifetime support is something that... Uh, not many, not many vendors do anymore. No, very few, if any, do actually. Particularly mm-hmm. in the computer business, and again, particularly in the niche market that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a very niche. It's a, it's a lot of clients, but it's you know compared to how many computers are sold by Dell and HP daily, compared to how many are bought for professional audio or video, it's very small. At best, we might be three percent of the market. Mm-hmm. What percentage of your business is from the same same people, like same accounts? Yeah, I mean, all, our customers are repeat customers. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we pick up new clients. Yeah, and so, we have companies that actually resell our our computers as well. Oh really? Yeah, we've got. Um, there's a couple of companies that are uh, live, uh, like Claire Brothers. If you call it Claire Brothers, it's because you're putting on a concert. They they give you lighting. Um, yeah, live aspect of it, stage setup. They will provide you with the mixing console, the front of house stuff. You know, the studios, the, the speakers, whatever. You're not hauling on your tour bus. They're going to provide for you, uh, and they 
in turn resell our computers to these clients of theirs to record with. And, and so you put put your own brand on on each computer. Correct. Good. Good. We we also ship worldwide, and we had a reseller in UK for a while. Mm-hmm. And one in Australia, actually. Good. We're going to take a uh, another another short commercial break here, and we're going to uh, listen to San Rule number twenty four. I'm Jody Williamson with Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk about rule number 24. Product knowledge used at the wrong time can be intimidating. You know, have you ever overwhelmed a prospect in a sales call with too much product knowledge? If you don't think you have, you actually probably have and not realized it. Because one of the things we hear from prospects all the time is salespeople tend to come in and talk in buzzwords, industry jargon, uh, acronyms, and in the process they make prospects feel uncomfortable because the salesperson's assuming the prospect knows what they're talking about. And sometimes they do, but many times they don't. And when that happens on a call, a prospect could do one of two things. One thing is they could say, well, time out. I'm not sure what you're saying. Can you, can you clarify yourself? But many prospects won't do that because that implies that they're, they're not intelligent, that they're dummies. And so instead of that, they tend to default to option number two, which is they don't say anything. But what they want to do is get out of that situation because no one likes to feel uncomfortable. So getting out of the situation can look like they have a meeting to go to all of a sudden, or you try to get back in and they don't take your phone calls and they give you the runaround. So we have to be really careful of, of using product knowledge that way on a sales call. And, and part of what we have to look at, we have to, we have to say, like, where does this come from? And one of the things that we see is that, you know, in our schooling, we learn something new and we get tested and we feed it back and we get strokes and recognition, we get good grades by learning something and regurgitating it back. And so what happens in sales is people learn something and, and as they're talking about their, their information and technical knowledge, they are getting some feedback and some strokes, uh, and they're feeling better about themselves. And when people talk about what they're comfortable with, they do feel good about themselves. But here's the Sandler rule also, is that sales is no place to get your emotional needs met. It's a place to go to the bank. And if I'm using my product knowledge to feel better about myself, that's the wrong reason to use product knowledge. Product knowledge has a value for, to give you confidence, so you can ask better questions, so you can qualify prospects better. But other than that, you have to be really careful how you use it. So I want you to think critically about your, your, your client interactions and ask yourself how much product knowledge and industry jargon are you using. And I would challenge you also to, to try to retool your sales calls in a way where you focus on asking really good questions and not focusing on, on giving all your product knowledge. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Scott Piccarelli of ADK Pro Audio. Scott, let me ask you a question about leadership. Is that fair? Absolutely. But first, I got to correct you about my last name. <laughs> it's Chickelly, not Chickarelli. Chickelly. Chickelly. Okay. Yeah, good Irish name. Good Irish name for a guy who grew up in, uh, in Jewish Italian neighborhoods in New York. I, I shouldn't have blown that. So, Scott. Uh, you've got 11 people working for you now. You, you had people working for you in the construction business. Maybe you can give our listeners a leadership tip or two. 
you've heard, and I hate to plagiarize this or, or use such a cliche, but a good manager's people manage themselves. I really didn't know what that meant when I first started out. And the construction business is a lot different than this business is. In the construction business, I was right there face-to-face -face with my employees all the time. I mean, it was, you know, let's just tear this thing up. Where in this business, I've got employees doing different jobs. I'm in my office. They're in different places in different offices or down in the building area where they're building computers. And I'm out there to babysit and watch and, and see what's going on. Um, to me, when I hire somebody, first of all, I feel as though I am responsible for them and their family. So I take hiring very seriously. I don't do it lightly. I don't do it like, okay, we're busy this month. Let me hire somebody. And, you know, we slow down in two months and I'll just can them. Um, that's not my approach. Mm -hmm. And I, I let people know that, and the longer they work for me, they know that I, I am concerned for them as a person and their family as well. And I, if I have to ever let somebody go, and I have in the past, it just, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, getting a divorce almost. Uh, to answer directly, to answer your question, um, I don't pay my guys, um, as I told you, commissions. What I do pay is bonuses. So if we have a good month, and, and uh, you can lose your bonus around here, trust me, <laughs> but if we have a good month, and we generally do, then they get bonuses based on the percentage of profits the company has made, and everybody gets one unless they've uh, done something really silly, like ship something to the wrong address and cost me twice the cost of their bonus, mm -hmm. um, which has happened, <laughs> because then we're overnighting it to the right address, but... It sounds like you're a cook. You know, Every, I, everybody's treated as family. I, I don't, um, you know, this would not work in a 200-employee environment. I don't know. Maybe it would. I don't see how it possibly could. But Especially. I interact daily with my employees, and I treat them with respect. And in turn, they, they know that I'm looking out for their welfare, and they know by doing their job, they're looking out for the company's welfare, and if the company does good, then they're going to be around, have a job, and they might even get a bonus. And I don't – we we do a lot of joking around here, but you should never look down at somebody and have an attitude that you're better than they are. Mm -hmm. And that's just how I treat my employees. How do you find your employees? How do I find them? Wow. The, to work here is not uh, to, to hire a sales rep, if, if you want to call them that. Uh, they're also going to be support. So not only do they have to be, let's take audio, for example. Not only do they have to be a musician, but they have to know computers to a very good degree. They have to know the software and not just the one that they're used to, but several of them. Mm -hmm. And then if they only know one or two, we have demo computers that they have to sit in front of and learn all this other software. Uh, it's really difficult to do that. Now, computer builders is a lot easier, obviously. Mm -hmm. The people I have that actually build my computers never built a computer or worked in a computer company before until they came here. Well, how do you make um, that? Because I don't want somebody's bad habits. Okay. <laughs> But you learned it somewhere else. So I, 
you know, once upon a time in my career, we we hand built uh, computers when IBM uh, XT came out many many moons ago. We turned them into uh, voicemail machines. Uh, how do you teach your, your people how to build a, a new computer if they've never never been a builder before? Uh, by working next to another builder for weeks and then turning it over to them and the other builder watching them for weeks. And, you know, it's it's not rocket science in any way, shape, or form. It's just a Lego set. But there's a lot more to what we do to it than that. And then the way that we tie up the cables and the internal just super attention to detail. Uh, and my my builders are actually better than I am at this point. You would not want me to go back there and build a computer anymore. Um, I implemented a lot of things early on, and then my guys over time have actually taken what I taught them, bettered it, bettered it, and bettered it. Uh, and that's another thing when leading people is that to not think that your way is the only way, that maybe they actually have a better idea and you might want to listen to it. Because surprisingly, they may be right. That's an excellent point. And, uh, you know, I've had to bite my tongue and and stick my ego where it belongs and, and listen. And, and I do that. And, and my employees are also allowed to um, tell me, you know, okay, what can we do better? What do you see? that? Where can we make improvements? Uh, to the point of I've actually taken my guys out one-on-one to lunch and said, hey, you know, what can we do better? What's going on? And... Again, that's how this company's morphed into into the company it's become, and and it's tuned itself not because of me, but because of my employees. Picking the right people. I, I just I just drive the boat, sort of, and really those guys are the ones that are, are making me look good. I also have a guy that's worked for me um, early on. Uh, very early on, then again, and now he's been here um, seven and a half years, who's basically, he's in the back. He he monitors, he's my head support guy, he's he's the one in charge of all these boneheads, and, and he's just, most of my employees are all, they're, they're team players, and they're for the company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have an operations manager. Yes. And then I've got another guy who's my purchaser and also kind of an operations manager, and he has been here uh, right behind the other guy. And I've got another guy that actually works in Connecticut. He lives in Connecticut. He moved here to Kentucky for about five and a half, six years, and then he said, that's it. i got to go back to the Northeast. I can't handle Kentucky anymore. Uh, but he actually works for me up there, and he does sales and support over the phone. Uh, doesn't have to be here on site. Okay. It's 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 about letting your employees give you ideas and respect their thoughts and you know to a point. Obviously, I'm going to say no at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been blessed with some fabulous employees, and, and like I said, they make me look good. Well, it's, it's really a blessing if you if you have great employees. Uh, when David Sandler and I first talked uh, about 22 years ago, he said to me, Mike, if you join, it's, it's a family. Uh, and uh, I guess that was 1992. And it's like we were in the fortune. He said, I've never in one place much more than five years. 
And here I am 21 years later in the same family. Uh, I watched the thing grow and, and help hundreds of companies uh, and individuals uh, dramatically improve their sales, their companies, the, the amount of money they put in their wallet when they go home every week. Uh, Scott, uh, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show. And as a token of my appreciation for your your time, I'm going to be sending you a copy of Sandler's latest book, The 11 Sandler Success Principles. Uh, great book. Awesome. Uh, quick read. Uh, people are learning a lot about it. Uh, this year we'll have a couple more uh, Sandler books uh, coming out. And uh, in that book, you'll find a copy of our local Sandler training calendar uh, and uh, a free training pass. So when you're uh, ready to take a couple of minutes away from the office, come on on out uh, to Eastgate and uh, join us for a class. Thanks again for uh, for being on the show, Scott. And uh, I'm going to ask Scott to take it away. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at rothconsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.